What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And uh, I praise the Lord that uh, my wife and I made it here safely. And uh, so far you, uh, you have heard about our, our uh, well, we didn't have an accident really. Uh, my wife and I were in McDermott, Nevada. Anybody ever drive through McDermott, Nevada? Uh, there's about 25 people there in that town. There's like a school and a gas station and a restaurant. You want to call it a casino, I know, but it's a restaurant. And, uh, and uh, you've heard the story where uh, we had uh, parked our truck along the curb there. And uh, my wife and I, just 30 seconds before, were in the truck. And we'd stepped out of the truck and stepped on the curb. And, uh, and as we stepped on the curb, I heard this screeching, this noise. And there in a town right in front of the school, here is the restaurant and here is the school. The speed limit was 25 miles an hour. And uh, there is this girl that's coming in the town. She's about 20. She must have been looking down at her phone, I think. Because she looks up and she's behind this van going probably about 15 miles an hour. She's going about 80, literally. She jerks her wheel so hard that the car flips over literally on the, the, the driver's side door. I mean, it slides on that side of the car. It flips back over on the wheels, bounces to the right, to the far uh, passenger side, two wheels. It sharply veers to the right. My wife and I are watching this, and I say to Heidi, I have enough time. I say, she's going to hit our truck. And she hits our truck, and the truck looks like a little toy truck that you threw down on the ground. I mean, it just exploded like this. She knocked it in the curb, tore the right front wheel off, wrapped it around a telephone pole. And, of course, that driver's side was just absolutely demolished. And I'm standing, and I'm watching this truck, my truck, my baby, being destroyed. And, uh, and uh, so we are brokenhearted over that. We were worried about the young lady. Uh, the car that she was driving a Honda Civic, it literally went up into the air and it landed like this and then ended up on four wheels. And so we thought for sure this precious young lady probably was was injured or maybe even dead. And uh, as we were walking, moving quickly towards the car, the door flies open and she jumps out and she kind of starts running in circles. She was in shock. And as I walked up to her, her hands were shaking and she could not even speak. And so the good news is nobody was hurt. I prayed. Heidi and I prayed. We joined hands. We said, Lord, keep us safe on the trip. And uh, he kept us safe. I should have prayed more specifically. Lord, keep my truck safe. And uh, uh, though our English bulldog, we have a little one-year-old English bulldog. She was in the truck when it was hit. And uh, now she's a little, uh, you know, jittery around cars. I don't know why, but, you know. Uh, but anyhow, uh, we, we've had a good time. We're getting uh, familiar with San Diego, uh, California. If you've been walking in, my name's Tony Miller. I'm the new pastor here. I'm excited. Amen. Amen. And uh, I'm taking ownership. I, I, just, I just already love you. I already love this congregation. I love the city. Uh, my son was in the Navy a couple years ago, served four years, and we came for Christmas a couple years ago, and we enjoyed San Diego. I learned some things about San Diego, some trivia. I, I, I've uh, done some research. I, I learned that San Diego produces more avocados than anywhere else in the United States. Did you know that? Uh, I also learned that there are 7,000, that's the right number, 7,000 farms in this county. More than any other county in the U.S. I'm blown away. couldn't believe it. I, I learned that there are 200 cruise ships that port in San Diego every year. Honey, we're going on a cruise, okay? <laughs> 
so there's lots of lots of good details and, and trivia I've learned about San Diego. Uh, I, I need to say, by the way, uh, our choir, our worship team, give them a hand. They did a fantastic job. Amen. Um, thank you so much, team. Uh, and, and I want to say thank you for, for all the welcome that we've received. We've received. Uh, people have welcomed us with open arms. I feel like you've rolled out the red carpet. And uh, we've been to dinner two or three times over to people's houses. And uh, people have come by the apartment and they've helped us move in. And uh, we have received, I'm telling you, a number 10, a top-notch welcome. Heidi and I want to say thank you for welcoming us to Mission Church of the Nazarene. Uh, I think that's probably a little bit better welcome than this guy that had called a, a, a church, a local church. He had called a local church, and uh, the secretary answered the phone. And he said to the secretary, he said, I want to speak to the, the head hog of the trough. And the secretary said to the man, excuse me, he says, that's right, I want to speak to the head hog of the trough. And she said, sir, if you're referring to our pastor, we do not talk about our pastor in that way. And he said, well, I was just going to make a $50,000 donation to the building program. There was a pause on the line, and then she said, hold the phone, here comes the big pig now. (laughs) And so I've gotten a whole lot better reception than that guy, okay? Uh, And it's been awesome. We've had a wonderful time just worshiping with you already this morning, and uh and uh, I'm excited about the future that, that is in the hands of God. Amen? And your anticipation. I've never, uh, I've never been welcomed. I don't think, do not talk about this, though, outside of the sanctuary. We have never been welcomed like, like we've been welcomed here. And also, I don't know if I've ever arrived uh, at a church and there's been as much anticipation as I sense that there is in this church. And I believe that you are ready for something. Amen. You're ready for, for God and God to do something in your church and in your life. And I am excited about that. So I want to invite you, if you have God's word, I want to invite you to go to the book of John with me this morning. And uh, we're going to be looking at John uh, today. John chapter 5. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 5. Uh, here in just a moment. And, uh, you know, I, I love to have fun. You're going to find that out about us. My wife and I, we joke a lot, and we probably will pick on you a little bit. And you are welcome. I'm inviting you to pick on us, okay? Uh, so we like to have a lot of fun. But then, then when we come to the Word of God, I, I found myself just getting really serious. Because it, it is the Word of God. Amen. And I believe that when we go to the word that we need to be really respectful of that, that word. And so uh, I invite you to go with me today. We're always going to use the word. We'll always have some kind of scripture as I preach. And so we'll try to provide it up on the screen for you. And you can always follow along that way if you do not have the Bible with you. So go to John chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 5. Now, I, I need to say that sometimes Jesus works uh, and, and he speaks in an ambiguous way. In other words, sometimes... Uh, he, he shares a story or, or a parable uh, with people as he teaches. And, of course, you know, when he's finished, it's kind of open-ended. And, and you're supposed to kind of walk away and try to figure out what it is that he's trying to say. And, and so, you know, and that's a good way to teach because we've learned that if people draw their own conclusions, uh, they're probably going to remember what it is that they have learned. 
And I understand that, and I love that style about Jesus, but sometimes Jesus is more direct, you know, more didactic. Sometimes Jesus is just saying it. It's black and white. And that's what we find here in John chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 5. So if you have the word, let's begin to look at that together this morning. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there... There is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. My wife and I uh, just uh, took a trip to Italy for our 30th wedding anniversary and we went into the city of Pompeii. They've uncovered a large amount of Pompeii and, and there is a place that is a colonnade and there are these large you know, columns and there is this covered area and it's a portico and it's in a big square with this open court and and as we were walking through this, that what, that once what was covered, and, and we're watching this, looking at this, I'm wondering if it was somewhat similar to this scenario, structurally mean, I mean, as far as the architecture goes, because it sounds just like that same thing. And then in verse 3, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word today. I pray that your anointing would be upon it. I pray, Lord, that you'll be glorified by everything that is said and done this morning. And I pray, Lord, that if there, there is a work that needs to happen, in my heart maybe, or a work that needs to happen in, in that young man's heart or that young woman's heart, whoever it may be, we pray that your work will happen. We pray that you'll be glorified, Lord, today, and, and Lord, everything that, that takes place. And so, Father, we pray that you would just bless and honor the reading of this word this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name and all God's people said, amen and amen. And so the last phrase there, uh, he asks him, he says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? You know, maybe that is the question that God is, is asking us this morning. You know, maybe he's asking that of the church. And he's saying, church, do you want to get well? Or maybe it's for you as an individual that, that, that God is speaking to us. And he's asking that question. I don't know what you're dealing with or, or what uh, your life is involved in right now. But that maybe he's asking that question, you know, because it's time for us to, to experience, you know, some wellness maybe. Maybe it's very possible that you're at a place and you just found yourself kind of in this rut and you're just kind of wallowing right there. But then here is the Spirit of God that is coming with hope and promise. And he's asking the question this morning, maybe do you want to get well, church? Amen. In fact, I looked up 16 different Bible uh, search results for when Jesus healed, you know, when when people got well. And I was really curious about, you know, the scenario and looking for the conditions and the circumstances surrounding the miracles when Jesus Christ moved and, and the word of God surrounded those folks. And then God began to move in a supernatural way. And, and as I look at those different searches, 
I, I find that, that there is belief, there is compassion, there is mercy, there is faith. I mean, all the things that drive those to the Savior, seeking a touch from the Savior, there is all kinds of things that, that, that begin to happen as, as Jesus Christ touches people in a physical way. Sometimes there are predetermined conditions. Sometimes they come to him when, when they are sick or there's illness or, or maybe it's very possible that there's emotional things that are, are going on or maybe there's a disability or, or maybe they have even died. Like the girl in Mark chapter 5. Remember, she was dead and Jesus raises her from the dead or maybe it was like Lazarus. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. You cannot forget that. Amen. And so we look at the conditions that surround when God decides to move. I really can't put my point on really anything specific but a few things. Because Jesus, he healed, I mean, he healed in all kinds of circumstances, in all kinds of places. He's healed at the seaside. He healed in the city. He healed on the road. He healed in flat places. He healed in town and at church. And here we'll read at the pool of Bethesda. And my analytical mind wants to ask the question, what are the common denominators in this equation of the miraculous? I mean, otherwise, when Jesus touches somebody, I mean, when God tries and he does break open the history of mankind, when a cataclysmic event happens and Jesus touches someone, what what are those conditions? I'm talking about the one that is the creator of all heaven and earth. Amen. The one that is the creator of the stars and the moon and And the sun, the one that has created the biggest of the big and the smallest of the small. Imagine the creator that we are talking about. We read of him in Psalms 139, 13. And we read there, he is the God. Imagine this. He is the God who knit us together in our mother's womb. He is that kind of intimate God. He is, yes, he is the God of the mountains. But he is also the God of the the atom. He is God of the molecule. He is God of the neutrons. He is the creator of all things. And it's no accident when God heals in a supernatural way. And this convinces me that God is a God of details. And if he is a God of details, that means that he's a God of the details of your life. And he knows all the ins and outs of your life. And in Mission Church, he knows all the details about your church. And if God is a God of details and he knows about the details of the church and he knows about the details of your life and he he knows you in that very intimate way because he knit you together in your mother's womb, then hallelujah, is he not a God? Is he not a creator that can handle everything in our life? The creator that we turn to this morning, the creator that we pause as our worship team so adequately leads us in worship as we worship that creator this morning. Notice this this study, as I say, I pulled up 16 different searches about, you know, the scenario when God, you know, breaches the laws of physics and he heals. Notice in this study, it's not about faith healing. Meaning faith being the only element when God breaks open human history. Meaning that this idea that, oh, if I think positive enough, I mean, if I just can be positive enough, then God will respond. You see, that that's a myth. 
Because there's more to it than just having a positive attitude, you know, asking God to help here. I mean, true faith must be our initiative. We talk about divine faith. That's what we embrace. We embrace divine faith. But even our initiative comes from the prompting of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, look at that for just a moment. Go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you have time to look at that. And we look at verse 3 there. And what are we told? I mean, what is this teaching saying to us this morning? We read there in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one, excuse me, no one, that's you or I, I mean, that's pretty bold there, no one, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So even the initiative of, of, of being able to say that Jesus Christ is Lord, you know, it comes from the initiative of the Holy Spirit. And, and I understand our faith helps us receive just as the lack of faith hinders. So the lack of faith hinders. But here's what I need to say when we're coming back to this or dealing with this issue, that healing does not depend on faith. Healing depends on the healer. Healing depends upon the healer, Jesus Christ. And, and I think the important truth that we should know is that healing sometimes happens, you know, it, it's a physical thing, like the withered hand, but sometimes there is a healing that happens in the heart. And the healing is a healing of hurts, and, and it's a healing of emotions that maybe that we're wrestling with, or, or maybe we have felt betrayed. Maybe we felt betrayed, and, and you see, it's the Holy Spirit that comes in like the anointment of of God, and it's that healing that begins to happen within our heart as we begin to learn what it means to be Christian, and God helps us move on, and we, we move into a new chapter of life. We, we can affirm that the Bible does say and promise us that, that the healer is near to the brokenhearted. The healer is near the brokenhearted. So God provides healing for those that want it. And in fact, as we learn about God, you see, we, we, we learn that the healed heart is a joyful heart. And we experience the joy of God because the heart has been healed and God has helped us process through what it is that we need to process through as a church. Or process through maybe as an individual. Amen. Yes. And so, you know, we start out with this positive attitude and I believe, <clears throat> I believe in having a positive attitude. I mean, I'm all about that, and you'll learn that about me as I spend time with you. But you say, well, pastor, how do I move ahead from this point? How do I move ahead, you know, in, in a positive way? Well, I be- believe there are some, some tips that we can follow this morning. And the first one is this, that we can confront, we can confront our past with God's forgiveness. We can confront our past with God's forgiveness. You see, the enemy does not want you to believe that you are forgiven. The enemy wants you to dwell on that past. He wants you to dwell on those past, you know, problems or those mistakes in life. And so what happens, we come to God and we lay these things down before him on the table. And you see, the idea is that we leave them on the table and we walk away. But the enemy wants you to go back to the table. He wants you to pick them up. Well, in the name of Jesus Christ, get behind us, Satan, because you see, we do not want to pick them up. We want to leave them on the table. And so we confront our past with God's forgiveness, that God is merciful and that God is loving and that God forgives. And hallelujah, God sets us free. I believe that. 
I believe that we're to confront our past with God's forgiveness. The second thing is that we are not to allow our past mistakes to define who we are. We're not to allow our past mistakes to define who we are. You see, again, the enemy wants to define you. He wants to say, this is who you are. And he'll take all of these mistakes and all of these failures and all of these sins. And he'll say, okay, this is who you are. Well, again, in the name of Jesus, get behind us. Because our past experiences do not have to define who we are. How can I say that? Why do I say that? Because the scripture teaches us. That God's mercy and God's forgiveness washes us and makes us pure. We learn that the grace of God, like a whiteboard, washes the whiteboard clean. Hallelujah. And we have a fresh slate to begin with. Amen. Amen. How many here today have ever needed a, a clean slate? Raise your hand. Did you all hear me? How many here today need a clean slate? And so we do not allow our past mistakes to define who we are. And, and then we, the third one is that we focus our identity in Jesus Christ. And then we build on it. And so how do we think positive as a church? I'm talking about Mission Church of the Nazarene. We focus our identity in Jesus Christ. Our identity is not in a mistake. Our identity is not in the past. Our identity is not in failures. Our identity is not in our frustration. It is not in our emotions. Our identity is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And that's what we're to build on. Amen. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our future. And now this might be audacious. I'm talking about audacious faith. This may be audacious, but I propose there are two things that we can find that are in common every time that God breaches the laws of physics and a healing happens. The first one is, you know what the first one is? The first one is there's always the presence of the Savior. There's always the presence of the Savior. Just as salvation comes by us having faith in the Savior, for it is by grace that we're saved by faith and not of ourselves, but a gift of God, right? So just as salvation comes by faith, you see, healing comes by faith. And the same power that gives us everlasting life, we confess our sin, we say, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart and be in my life. It is the same power that, that comes and, and begins to heal the heart and begins to set the captive free and gives us a hopeful future. It is that kind of faith that sets us free. I believe that, church. Amen. And we look in Scripture and every time God works in a supernatural way, Jesus Christ was present. And sometimes He, he healed even at a distance. You know, remember the centurion servant. Jesus was not even present. He heals. Sometimes he, he heals in, in, in a way that people do not even anticipate. It's sometimes a surprise how Jesus Christ heals. And I cannot wait to be surprised by the power of God and Jesus Christ breaking open the human history of Mission Nazarene and setting us free. I believe that. And so, you see, it's the presence of Christ that is the key. You know what the second common denominator is? The second common denominator in those 16 suggestions of when God and Jesus worked miraculously, the second common common denominator was that they had this unprecedented faith in Jesus Christ. They had faith in Jesus Christ. 
Unbelievable faith. They believed that Jesus Christ could do it. And you know, that sounds, you know, that sounds kind of, uh, you know, maybe simple. But I wonder how many of us here this morning really have that faith in Jesus Christ. That no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, That Jesus Christ, the power of Christ, can set you free. The power of Christ can bring healing. The power of Christ is is, is really, you see, what we need. And you know what else is common when we look at when God works in a supernatural way in, in people's lives, in the church life? People bring their need to Jesus. I think sometimes, okay, we attend church, we're in the services, and, you know, I'm serving God, and I'm preaching, and we're, we're a part of all the mechanics and the machine work. But maybe we've not taken a step, and we've said, Jesus, this is, this is my hurt. Jesus, this is, this is my need. I go back to the pool of Bethesda. Look at that, how the... The invalid answers Jesus Christ. And he responds in verse 7. He said, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get there, somebody else gets in ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, listen to this, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, take action and have faith. Take action and have faith. He's saying, put that foot in front of the other foot. Take action and have faith. You see, the common denominator we found is that they brought their need to Jesus Christ. And they said, Jesus Christ, this is my need. And this is my heart. And this is my desperation. And these are my heart hurts. And he brings them to Jesus Christ. And that's the very first step. Amen. Take action and have faith. Take action and have faith. I, I will never forget that Sunday morning when this precious lady uh, by the name of, of Michelle, her and her husband attended our church. And I knew that they had been going through a difficult time because, because of uh, Hudson's mother uh, had passed and gone on to be with the Lord. But it had been a very long journey. And she came up to me one Sunday morning. I was standing down in front and she had this little uh, baggie. She had literally this baggie in her hand. And uh, she handed this baggie to me. And as she was crying, she says, I want to tell you about this baggie. And she said, you know, and she reminded me of all the pain and all the illness and all the heartache that they had been going through, that Hudson's mom had been going through. And, and every time she went into a medical facility, and every time she went to the hospital, and, and every time that she had a surgery or an operation, they'd put a band on her wrist. And, and they collected all those bands. They'd hung on to them. And, and as, as she was experiencing the process of moving from this life to the next, they were putting all of her medical bands in this little baggie. And that Sunday when Michelle came up to me with tears in her eyes, she says, Pastor, I want to hand this to you. And she kind of started explaining what it does was. And then she said, because she says, you see, this is what I want to call our little baggie of hurt. <laughs> That's so simple. 
our little baggie of hurt. And she says, I'm handing this to you because of what you were just preaching. And she says, I realize I've been picking it back up again. And I'm going to hand it to you because I'm not going to pick it back up again. I'm going to take my hurt. I'm going to take my betrayals. I'm going to take my heartache and all of that. And I'm going to just lay them down before God. And pastor, I want you to take this baggie. Because it represents all of our hurt. All of our pain. And this morning, I, I wonder if the words that Jesus speaks can ring in our ears. Take action. Have faith. Take action. Have faith. That we might say, Father, I'm going to give you my hurt. Father, I'm going to give you my pain. I'm going to give you these memories that I have that maybe I don't like them. I'm going to learn from them. But God, I need your healing touch this morning. I need you to touch me emotionally. I need you to touch me physically. Whatever it is, it can be anything under the sun. Some way that you're saying, Father, I'm going to trust you with my life this morning. Today, we've handed to you a baggie. And again, it's really simple. But I want to invite you to take that baggie and hold it right now. Everybody, I trust that everybody does have a a baggie. And I want to invite you to bow your heads for just a moment. Bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to invite you to allow that baggie to represent your hurt, represent your pain, represent maybe uh, maybe some, some kind of frustration or emotion that you have. Maybe let that baggie represent, you know, something here at the church. Let that baggie represent maybe something that's private. Maybe something secret, guys. It can be anything under the sun. This baggie is for you. It's between you and God. And we're not going to pick it up. We're going to give it to God and say, God, I'm trusting you. And I'm releasing this. I'm releasing this to you. I want to invite us to stand, and maybe the worship team can come, and they have maybe a worship song that Molly can lead them in. And as we we begin this worship song, there's no formality to this. This is very informal. And I want to include the band as well as they move and they respond to God, but there's no... There's no limited time that we have here. I want to invite you, as, as we begin to worship and the music begins to play, I want to invite you to allow this baggie to represent something in your life. Again, it's just between you and the Lord. I'm going to invite you to allow it to represent something in your life. Something that you're saying, God, I'm putting it in the baggie. I'm going to trust you, God. I give it to you. I release it to you this morning. And as we sing, I invite you, just come and lay that baggie. Don't linger. Just walk up and set your baggie on the table here, on the altar here, on the altar there. And we're going to bring this to Jesus. And we're going to leave it in his hands. And we're going to allow the healer to be the healer. We're going to do as we were challenged, take action. We're going to take action and have faith.